story. Dramatic new developments tonight in the search for missing Blenheim friends Olivia Hope and Ben Smart. Police called a press conference late this evening to announce they've narrowed the focus of their inquiries. They say they're focusing their inquiries now on the sloop, which was uh, seized in a bay near Picton on Monday. And they say the boat owner has similarities to the mystery sailor. Hi guys, this is Harry and Bill from the True Crime Sisters podcast. I just want to start by saying a big thank you to everyone who's been listening to us. It's been so exciting that anyone has taken the time out of their day to check us out and hear us talk crime. We would love to hear from you on social media. Um, we're on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash truecrimesisters. Uh, if you want to contact us on Twitter, our handle is at truecrimesister. So sister, not sisters. And you can also drop us an email at truecrimesisters at gmail.com. So with that out of the way, how are you going, Bill? Yeah, good. Thanks, Harry. And how are you? Yeah, good. You know, same old, really. Yep. So with that out of the way, I guess, are you ready to start? Yep, let's get into it. Today, we're discussing a case from our country of birth, New Zealand. We thought since we're covering cases from this neck of the woods, we should include our sister country. Today we're talking about the case of Ben Smart and Olivia Hope, who went missing after a night out on New Year's Eve, welcoming in the year 1998. So the year was 1997, and the location is the beautiful Marlborough Sounds in the South Island of New Zealand. The Marlborough Sounds is right at the top of the South Island, and can be described as a network of sea-drowned valleys. I was actually in Picton, which is at the top of the South Island of New Zealand, earlier this year yep. we took a ferry off the Marlborough Sounds. It's beautiful isn't, isn't it? it? beautiful it's gorgeous we went out there and did like a dolphin cruise so we saw dolphins seals sea lions all this beautiful wildlife and all the gorgeous scenery. It's, it's a beautiful. stunning part of the country. So nice. The whole South Island of New Zealand if anyone gets a chance that is oh, it's gorgeous. Top. A lot more secluded like if you like shopping and stuff like I do. Mm. It doesn't have a lot of that, but oh, if you scenery like, is stunning. And if you like outdoor adventures and stuff like I do, that is absolutely the spot to go to. Yeah. So I hope that paints just a little bit of a picture of what the area is like. So Olivia Hope was a 17-year-old girl who was out for the night celebrating New Year's Eve. She had just finished up college in, how do you Blenheim. say that one? Blenheim. Oh, Blenheim. And was working in a winery over the summer. She was a talented musician who had previously studied music for 10 years Olivia and her sister Amelia, along with some friends, had chartered a boat called the Tamarack over New Year's and were heading to a party at how do you say this one? Ferno. Sorry about that. At Ferno Lodge, a beautiful lodge on the Marlborough Sounds. Olivia Hope was described as a bubbly, happy young woman. She was very close to her family and friends. She was close to her sister Amelia and they had exchanged rings as a Christmas present just before the fateful day. Olivia was also said to have a very close and loving relationship with her mother. Olivia, Amelia and their friends were having an amazing time on the Tamarack and it wasn't long before the boat turned into a party boat with New Year's Eve pre-drinks flowing. That sounds fun. At the same time, 21-year-old Ben Smart from Christchurch drove up the Punga Cove with his mates. They decided to catch a boat out to the well-known New Year's Eve party at Ferno Lodge, the same one that Olivia and her mates were heading to. Ben also came from a close-knit family and was known to be a relaxed and laid-back kind of guy. He was also a music lover and took his guitar wherever he went. Olivia and Ben knew each other socially and it was suggested that they may have had a bit of a romance in the year leading up to their disappearance. At the same time that Olivia Hope and Ben Smart began to enjoy their New Year's Eve, another man, Scott Watson, aged 26, also got ready to head out to the well-known party at Ferno Lodge. 
He set out from Picton, which is the town we were talking about before, in his boat, the Blade. Scott Watson had actually built Blade himself. That day, he sailed it out to Ferno Lodge for the New Year's Eve party. He was an experienced sailor and had been sailing since he was a child. As a teenager, his family actually lived on a boat. He had built Blade to be used as a home for himself. When Scott arrived at Ferno Lodge, there were already about 150 boats and all the docks were occupied. He was able to raft his boat up to another one called the Mina Cornelia, which was a charter boat. He jumped onto the Mina Cornelia to have some pre-drinks with its occupants before they were all to head to the lodge for the party. The partygoers on Olivia Hope's boat, the Tamarack, continued to have drinks and party until the evening fell. They then moved their group to the shore and into the lodge to continue their night. It was there she would meet up with Ben Smart and they would enjoy the party together. I'm pretty sure the boats were not attached to anything, so I'm pretty sure there were water taxis that actually came and collected them and moved from spot to spot. So they would have been on one boat and then they would have got on a water taxi. And it takes them to shore. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right on that one. Scott Watson continued to party with the people on board the Mina Cornelia until it was close to dark. There was a photo taken of him with the other occupants, which shows him dressed tidily, cleanly shaven and with fairly close cropped hair. This will become important later. Eventually, the people on the Mina Cornelia decided to head into the party with a very intoxicated Scott Watson in tow. There was a woman on the dock checking people's bags for alcohol and just acting as general security for the party. Scott Watson approached and she remembers him as he was acting lewdly and hitting on women. As he approached, he was asked to either finish or put his drink in the bin and he sculled it right down. She remembers him being visibly drunk. I feel like that's pretty standard behaviour for... New Year's Eve, 26-year-old. Yeah. Good times. Good times. (laughs) Scott Watson admits that he was acting quite inappropriately that night, but he puts it down to being drunk and having a good time. He admits to groping women and hitting on them, which... That's a bit inappropriate. That's That's beyond good times. Yeah. Um, as well as getting into a verbal argument with an 18-year-old partygoer, which, from what I gather, was him actually being quite rude and making fun of the man's sister who had cancer. Okay, that's... Ne- so I feel yeah. like that maybe says something about his character a little bit. He was drunk as well, was, so... Yeah. It's not appropriate by it's any stretch. But, but I just thought I'd mention that yeah. because it is in a lot of the research. Mm. By all reports, there was about 1,600 people at the Ferno Lodge that night, bringing in 1998. One guest at the New Year's Eve party was noticed by a few of the people who were at the party that night. We're going to call him Mystery Man, because to this day, he still hasn't been identified with certainty. A bartender at Ferno Lodge... Guy Wallace noticed Mystery Man drinking at the bar. Guy described him as being very scruffy and unkept looking, with long, dishevelled hair. He was paying for his bourbon and cokes with wads of cash, and Guy estimated that he was around 30 years old. A couple of other guests noticed this man looking up a woman's skirt. To this day, nobody has confessed to being this man. As midnight hit, there were many New Year's Eve kisses exchanged and glasses clinking. After midnight, the party began to slow down, and the partygoers began to make their way back to their accommodation and boats for the night. At some stage, Scott Watson headed back towards where his boat was docked at the jetty. He wanted to continue partying or find a girl to have sex with, to put it bluntly. (laughs) But he'd had no luck finding anyone at the New Year's Eve party. He drunkenly climbed onto the Mina Cornelia to see whether anyone wanted to continue to party, only to be told to go away as the occupants were trying to sleep. Watson wasn't ready to give up, however. He was very keen to continue partying. He then climbed onto another boat, the Bianco, 
and reportedly a couple woke up to find him staring at them as they slept. They also told him to go away. The couple from the Bianco heard Watson leave their boat and return to his own boat, Blade. And he does deny that he was watching them sleep. He He does. He claims he just jumped on and was sort of looking to party and then kind of got over it. Yeah, and you can't say either way because I can imagine as the couple you could kind of blow that out of proportion or as him you might want to downplay Mm. that. So we don't really know which one's right. And they may have woken up to him looking over him as well and been like, well, how long was he there for? Yeah, good point. So we don't quite know, but he definitely denies that. Ben and Olivia eventually decided to make their way back to the Tamarack. When they got there, they found that it was completely packed with people. There was no room for them to sleep. Olivia was reportedly very pissed off by this as she had paid for her spot on the Tamarack and many of the people crowding the boat were freeloaders. And I'm pretty sure some of the other occupants actually then fired back at Olivia being like, you've got no right to be pissed off because you've brought Ben on the boat who's also a freeloader. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that went a bit both ways, but obviously everyone was drunk and I'm sure there would have been a bit of confusion. The last thing you need on New Year's Eve is to not have a place to sleep when you think that you did. Yes, exactly. And this is when Ben and Olivia decided that they were going to find somewhere else to sleep. Back on the shore, the bartender we mentioned before, Guy Wallace had been talked into taking a few people home on a sea taxi. Guy was about to set out in the taxi with Amelia, Olivia's sister, and her partner, and another couple, when the mystery man from the bar approached. This was the scruffy-looking guy that we were talking about before. Um, He asked if he could get a ride to his boat as well. Amelia estimates that this sea taxi ride took place at approximately 3.10am. Guy Wallace first drives the sea taxi out to the Tamarack to drop off Amelia and her partner, When they arrive, Olivia and Ben let Amelia know that they want to leave the overcrowded Tamarack to find somewhere else to sleep. Amelia and her partner decide to try their luck sleeping on the Tamarack, while Olivia and Ben get off the Tamarack and into the sea taxi. So now the sea taxi contains driver, Guy Wallace, scruffy mystery man, Olivia Hope, Ben Smart and and another random couple. While on the sea taxi, Olivia asks Guy Wallace if he knows anywhere where she and Ben can sleep. Guy Wallace tells her that there is no way they're going to find accommodation anywhere nearby on New Year's Eve. Mystery Man then speaks up. He offers Olivia a spot on his boat, letting them know that there's plenty of room. Now, just to make that clear, he offers Olivia Mm. a spot on the boat and Guy Wallace notices that he doesn't offer Ben a spot. But I think initially the couple just thought he's joking, he's taking the piss, he's drunk, we're all drunk. So they just assume that it's going to be fine for Ben to get on the boat. They arrive at a big vessel that belongs to the Mystery Man, Guy Wallace and the remaining couple on the sea taxi describe this boat as being around 40 foot long with a white hull and blue stripes down the side and shiny brass portholes. They notice it is a big step up from the sea taxi to the boat. They all recall the boat being beautiful and very unique looking. Guy Wallace double checks that Olivia and Ben are comfortable getting on the boat with this man that they have just met and they say yes. He later stated that he got chills down his spine when he reluctantly left them but he didn't know where else they could have stayed. That was the last confirmed sighting of the young couple. On the 2nd of January 1998, Gerald Hope, Olivia's father, became worried as he hadn't seen or heard from his daughter. He called the police and reported Olivia missing that afternoon. Over the next couple of days, police began questioning people who had been at the party and Scott Watson's name came up as a result of his drunk and obnoxious behaviour. He quickly became the focus of police inquiries as he somewhat resembled the descriptions of the mystery man that Olivia and Ben had joined on the boat that night. The boat was described by Guy Wallace as a two-masted ketch, Mm. which we are not boat people, but from what I understand, a ketch is a 
big boat. As so opposed feel free to, to contact us if yeah. that's wrong. Okay, so just to let you know, Scott Watson's boat is referred to as a sloop by mm. pretty much everyone. So a sloop is what I am assuming is a small boat. A catch is a big boat. So um, based on um, what Guy Wallace saw, he would assume that Scott Watson's boat is different from the mystery boat. And that becomes important later in the story. And Scott Watson's boat is also quite a specific boat. So all the, this one is specific too with its brass portholes. Scott Wallace built his boat from scratch. So it's it's a little bit of a... Um, a knock-up kind of boat. Yeah, and it would be also easy to identify. So I believe like Guy Wallace would have probably been able... Would have said, we'll get to that later. Police seized Scott Watson's boat and had it under a warrant to be tested forensically. They were hoping that they would be able to find something to link Watson to Ben and Olivia. The disappearance was quickly believed to be a homicide, with Scott Watson being the main suspect. Scott Watson had a lengthy criminal record prior to that New Year's Eve. Most of his priors were obtained when he was a teenager for theft, cannabis offences and one assault. He was sure that this was the main reason the police had set their sights on him and maintained his innocence. When Guy Wallace was shown pictures of Scott Watson's boat, Blade... He stated that it looked nothing like the boat he had dropped the mystery man and Ben and Olivia off on. He drew a picture of the boat that he saw that night, which was a two-masted catch. Scott Watson's boat only had one mast and was much smaller, said Wallace. Scott Watson's boat was also painted white and red on New Year's Eve. Now, unfortunately for him, between New Year's Eve and the time his boat was taken, he'd actually painted it blue. And there were so, people who confirmed that he actually painted it after New yeah, Year's. Yeah, he had planned before New Year's to paint it blue. So this was... He had brought all the paint. As far as Scott Watson says, this is completely unrelated. And actually, why would you do something that was going to make you look more guilty? So it's almost like he had no knowledge... Of the crime or anything yeah. about it. Before Scott Watson had been charged with anything, police held a press conference stating that they had seized the boat of a person of interest and publicly announcing Watson's name. His face was splashed across news media and he was linked to Ben and Olivia every night on the news. His family quickly obtained lawyers and stopped talking to the police as they felt it was a trial by media. Although he wouldn't be arrested until June, much of the public already considered him guilty due to him being on the news so often. On the 15th of June 1998, Scott Watson was arrested and charged with the murders of Olivia Hope and Ben Smart. Just under a year later, on the 14th of June 1999, Scott Watson's trial began, and as it finished, the jury found him guilty. There's not a lot to say about the trial itself, because there's not a lot of public information about it, but the facts of that night and how they got to that point of either guilt or innocence of Scott Watson have caused great debate amongst the people of New Zealand. Did Scott Watson kill Ben Smart and Olivia Hope? We're now going to have a look at both sides of the coin. There have been a number of books and documentaries that have been released defending Scott Watson, or at least calling injustice at his conviction. This side of the coin is the people who do not think Scott Watson should have been found guilty based on the evidence that was provided at the trial. The first point for this is that the mystery man described by many of the partygoers, the same man that welcomed Ben and Olivia on board his catch, was said to be scruffy and unkept looking, with shaggy wavy hair. Looking at photos of Scott Watson from that night, he appears neatly dressed and his hair is fairly short and tidy looking. If Scott Watson is not the mystery man, then he is not the killer. So I think the basic premise is that if Scott Watson is not the mystery man, then he's not the killer because 
what we know is that Olivia and Ben got off the um, sea taxi with the mystery man. Yeah, that's correct. We know that for sure. Guy Wallace saw that. Can we say for sure, though, that that still means Scott Watson is not the, the killer? Well, I guess for him to then be the killer, they would have to get off the mystery man's boat and somehow then get on Scott Watson's boat. And I think the re- reality of whether or not that happened, it, it most likely didn't. It seems like it didn't. And I guess we cannot say with 100% certainty because we can't, we weren't there, so. When multiple witnesses, including Olivia's sister Amelia, were shown a lineup of photos and asked to identify the mystery man they had seen, none of them seemed to identify Scott Watson unless they were led by police. As well as this, the drawing that water taxi driver Guy Wallace did of the two-masted catch he had dropped Olivia, Ben and Mystery Man off at looked absolutely nothing like Scott Watson's boat. This appeared to be when police started denying that the two-masted catch existed at all and tried to convince Guy Wallace that he was mistaken in describing it that way. If the two-masted catch existed, then Scott Watson wasn't the killer. Mystery Man was. The police needed the boat that Guy Wallace dropped the three people off at to be Scott Watson's boat. Would you agree with that? So if the two-masted catch existed Mm. that um, Guy Wallace said he dropped them off at, then Scott Watson isn't the killer. I still think... I'm unsure. Because you're big on not confirming anything that you weren't there to see or that hasn't yes. been confirmed 100%. That's what it is. I am, I'm big on not saying yeah. Whereas things I'm for sure. I'm big on like just going with the most likely theory, which is that um, multiple people saw this two mastered catch and say that it exists. So therefore, if Ben and Olivia got off and went onto this boat, then the mystery man is the killer. Yeah, so for me, I believe the two masked catch exists and that they were dropped there and that there was some sort of, and a lot of people saw it, so I, that makes me believe it existed. And Guy Wallace just, he seems trustworthy. Like, well, not he seems trustworthy. I just don't know why he would lie. But at the same time, I'm sort of a little bit, I don't like to think that they've convicted somebody who is innocent and he has appealed a couple of times too. So I just sort of think, and he's still guilty. So yeah. in my head, um, it's a lot of you corruption. Believe, it's a lot of... want to believe that if he was convicted, there's a good reason why he was convicted. Yes, but I get everything else. It clearly looks like from the knowledge that we have, it wasn't a, it was, I'm not saying it's an incorrect outcome, but it seems like an unjust process and trial yeah, and execution, well, I that. but I just can't say for, I can't speak for the outcome, but I can definitely speak for the, the process seems very suspicious. Yeah. This denial by the police of the two masked catcher's existence extended further than just Guy Wallace's description. A group of 15 people reported seeing the described two masked catch on the 2nd of January. They also told police they saw two young people sitting close together in the back of the vessel. These witnesses state that police completely dismissed that they had ever seen the boat. They were not alone. There were at least 11 sightings of a similar two-mast catch in the area on New Year's. People noticed the boat because it stood out, as Guy Wallace had said. It had a white hull, a blue stripe down the side, and shiny brass portholes. And a lot of the people that saw it and called the police were boat people, Mm. like people that owned boats, people who built boats, And they all say that when they called the police, the police had set their minds on the fact that this catch didn't exist. The killer's boat was the blade, that smaller one-masted boat. And both are distinctive boats. So both people would go, would know. It's like I would know the difference between one four-wheel drive to another because I like four-wheel drives. A boat person would go, that's a beautiful boat. I know I saw that. Yeah, and people say they actually stopped and like did laps around the boat to it, it, to admire it. So it existed. I think we know the boat existed. And it yeah. was said by police it did not. I th- 
I mean, that's interesting. That's an interesting. I think that's something that we have to think about. And it's hard because you don't want to think that the people who are, you know, supposed to protect us would have reason to lie. Another large group of at least a dozen people report seeing a similar boat to the one described on the 2nd of January. They remember it specifically because they saw a blonde girl on the boat and all of the men were joking about chasing the boat with the blonde on it. When they reported this to police, one of the witnesses asked, was Olivia blonde? He was told, no, she had red hair. He later saw a video of Olivia from that night and saw that she was blonde. And apparently, according to his wife, because he's now passed, that's, that haunted him pretty much until the day of his death. He believes. Like, he's sure that was Olivia yeah. that he saw. There are also statements made by witnesses that the police asked them to change their stories and suggest to them before trial that they may have mistaken in what they saw. As a result, some witnesses' statements in court were different from their initial statements, which was called out by the defence. Prosecution repeatedly stated in court that there was no confirmed sightings of this two-mask catch, despite multiple witnesses stating otherwise. Obviously, this doubt was enough for the jury as they convicted Watson. Now to present a fair episode, we are also going to look at the evidence that suggests Scott Watson may have been involved in the abduction and murders of Olivia Hope and Ben Smart. So one of the major things that led police to Scott Watson as a suspect was obviously his behaviour on New Year's Eve at Ferno Lodge. Um, by all reports, Scott Watson was rude, obnoxious, intoxicated and was repeatedly harassing women. One man said that meeting Scott Watson was actually the worst part of his holiday. I would call this behavior bordering on sexual harassment based on my own opinions. But having said all this and admitting personally that this is not a man I would ever want to meet, this doesn't make him a murderer, which is what he's on trial for. But um, I can see how his name came up in the investigation. Yeah, I absolutely think he should have been looked at. He clearly yeah. was one of the ones that night that everyone was noticing and he wasn't acting appropriately. Um, he definitely should have been looked at. Absolutely. People who believe Scott Watson is guilty also bring up the issues of time. Scott Watson himself says he did not wear a watch, and back in 1997 to 1998, not everyone had mobile phones. Well, not many people did, not did they? No. I think, like, business people did. But... And they were, like, the bricks, I the think. Bricks, yeah. yeah. But also, we were kind of kids, so we probably didn't know how many adults actually owned mobile phones at that time. Yeah, good point. So it needs to be asked how and when did Scott Watson get back to his boat, Blade? If Watson did not get on Guy Wallace's water taxi, then he is not the killer. But what if he did? This is the thing, the time. That is important. It is important. It, we don't know what time everything was... And everyone was drunk, yeah. so you can't really rely on... Hmm. This is why I can't just be like, oh, yes, all this stuff against him. Like, there's clearly some stuff working... It's a very messy situation regardless i think like there's no clear-cut answer obviously and that's why there is so many questions still remaining absolutely and there's no body there's no there's no bodies yeah. unfortunately there's not a lot of physical evidence no and yeah it's just saying with the physical evidence when the police did a forensic investigation on scott watson's um boat they found nothing linking him to a ben and olivia they did, however, say he'd cleaned some of his boat, which we can't say when or why he did that, yeah. but he had cleaned his boat. But from what I understand, forensic testing can pick up um, blood and fluids a long time even after they've been cleaned, even if it's just in small amounts. Even back then? Or... That, I don't, I'm not yeah. sure, I guess. So Scott Watson claims to have been taken back to the blade at about approximately 2am by an older man wearing a hat. But the people from the boat next to Blade, the Mina Cornelia, were still on deck at 2am and claimed that Watson was not on board at that time. 
In addition, according to multiple witnesses, the verbal confrontation that Scott Watson had at Ferno Lodge was about 3 a.m. So he couldn't have been on his boat at 2 a.m. when he says he was. Yep. But he also has admitted that he didn't wear a watch and was drunk. So who knows? So because people saw him at Ferno Lodge at around 3 a.m., it does put him at the lodge late enough that he could have potentially been the mystery man getting on Guy Wallace's water taxi at 3.10. Yeah, and Guy Wallace obviously is saying what he thinks he saw, but we do also know that eyewitnesses can sometimes... It's 3 o'clock. This is a guy who's not drinking. How tired is he going to be? Yeah. Shaggy hair, short hair. I mean, it's not a it's not a huge thing. He might not have been... Who's paying super close attention to everything? Like... I'm not doubting anyone's story. It sounds like I am. I don't know if I am or not, but I'm just saying like... I mean, you've got to question everything. Yeah, you do. Basically, when we don't have a clear story, we kind of have to question everything. And I think that is the main thing with this case. Everyone is questioning everything. I'm surprised anyone got convicted of this. I I think that's another thing is that is the key point. How did he get convicted of this? It's not that he did it or Or didn't didn't do do it. it. Yeah. It's how did they say for sure and how did a jury then go, yes, without doubt, I say he did it. Because that's what you have to say, without reasonable doubt. And I also feel like another thing about this whole thing, because there's all these questions and stuff about Scott Watson, it really takes away from the fact that two people were Mm. abducted and murdered. That's true. When you do your research about this case, there is so little about Ben and Olivia. It was hard to even paint a picture of who they were as people. Like... Everything you find is about Scott Watson. Is he innocent? Is he guilty? And, of course, as a human, that is incredibly interesting. But as, like, an empathetic person, I was actually quite disappointed in how little information there was about the two people who have most likely lost their lives and haven't even been found to be laid to rest or um, their family haven't been allowed to, like, you know, mourn for them Mm. with certainty of what happened to them. So... I find that quite sad. I think the other option we need to look at, or not we need to look at, we can't do a whole lot, but I think the other option that needs to be explored, and I'm sure it probably has, but um, we don't know for sure that they're dead. I'm not saying, I'm not one of the ones who's all for, I don't think that these guys, just knowing what we have, the little we do know about them, that they've run away and living some life, but okay, maybe that they, let's say they are dead, but do we know that like it wasn't an accident? Let's say they got on this big mask. Let's say Mystery Man wasn't a complete douche and didn't kill them. And they went out on, and they decided to go a little bit further out and maybe they drowned. Maybe something horrible happened. And then Mystery Man's like, well, it was an accident. No one knows me. Yeah. Like we, we just don't know the full story. It just feels like this has so many, it reminds me of other cases that I've listen to podcasts about like let's just say Maura Murray for example why aren't we looking at the hundred different things that could have happened it just really was a a one it seemed like a bit of a A one tracked mm, investigation when it does there's just there's so many possibilities like it's yeah I know what you're saying yeah okay so on the issue of time um isn't there evidence that Scott Watson may have gotten onto a different water taxi yeah, um, Guy Wallace wasn't the only water taxi that night, was he? No, there was a man, um, Donald Anderson. He, I think he gave testimony that he gave a man that resembled Scott Watson a ride to his boat between 2 and 4 a.m. He remembers that the boat's name reminded him of a weapon with a sharp edge and agreed that it could be blade. I mean, I don't it's, know how many weapons with a sharp edge. So that would, would say be. he got dropped back to, at blade. Basically at the blade. Okay, without yeah. obviously Olivia and um, Ben not in that water yeah, taxi. Yeah, so they're not in that water taxi. So it is possible that like his account of getting back to the blade is correct and that then he just went on to the Mina Cornelia and the Bianco and bothered the occupants there and therefore his story would have been correct. What he was saying happened, happened. Yeah, just times were wrong. And he's completely unrelated to Ben and Olivia. Yep. 
Scott Watson was given a life sentence for the murders of Olivia Hope and Ben Smart in what many believe was a miscarriage of justice. He will not be eligible for parole till December 6, 2020. Scott Watson maintains that he had never met the pair, let alone killed them. So like we said earlier, I think just to reiterate, one of the saddest things about this case is the fact that Ben and Olivia have seemed to, obviously not to their family and friends, they'll always be remembered, but through the media and and whatnot and all the sort of um, books that have been written, it's all based around Scott Watson. So it is... They've been lost. They've been lost and that's really sad. It's sad. That's really sad. Yeah, I think we really do have to remember that the true victims here were Ben Smart and Olivia Hope, but there's families out there who have lost their loved ones and we have to remember that and, you know, at the end of the day, that's the true tragedy here. Thank you for joining us on the True Crime Sisters podcast. Please give us a review and subscribe if you like what you've heard. You can find all our social media links in the description below. Please join us every week for a new episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast, as well as Harry's Unsolved Australia mini-sodes. Thank you for listening and please stay safe.